Um, if, you, if you will, please take your Bibles and turn to Ezra, Ezra chapter 3, Ezra chapter 3. Um, what a beautiful song, and thank you for singing out. Um, that's one of the things I know several of us have said we missed um, really the most, and that is to hear the saints gathered together to just sing and to praise the Lord together. Ezra chapter 3. Um, this morning, I want to, I wanna, you know, I, I was thinking, man, maybe I should carry on with my first John sermon series. You know, I'm that kind of that preacher, you know, kind of like Calvin when he was expelled from Geneva. You know, after a, while preach, uh, after a while being away, he comes back and you'd think he would preach some special service, but he just went back to the next text, almost on cue, and started preaching. And I thought about doing something like that. And then I thought, Dennis, the, the moment demands a little bit more. That would have been awesome, but, but the moment demands a little bit more. And so today, I'd like, to, I'd like to preach to you about worship. And, uh, and guys, that's, what, that's what's been impacted by this for the church. Our worship has been impacted. So what I want to do today is just remind you of the glory of worship and why we do what we do and why it's so important to us as a people, and that we find glory in that. So Ezra chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. Hear now the words of your Lord. Now in the second year, after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests of the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem for the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua, with his sons and his brothers, and Kadmiel and their sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priest in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with the cymbals, and, uh, to praise the Lord according to the direction of the king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. And notice what they said. Notice the content of their worship. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, all men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard afar off. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass will wither, and the flower will fade. But the word of the Lord, this, beloved, shall endure forever. 
And the words that are in here are the words every Sunday from this pulpit and praise God, hopefully from every pulpit in the world, this message of Christ will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we're here. We're excited that your spirit is here. We're excited that you've drawn us together for worship. And now, Father, help us. We need your wisdom. We need the power of your spirit to connect this truth that's found in your word to our hearts. Bless your people now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want you to take a look at verses, uh, beginning at verse number 11 on down. And as you read these verses, you'll notice a powerful thing happening. They, they are already, the, the children of Israel had just come from um, Babylonian captivity. They've spent about two generations in Babylonian captivity. And the Lord has graciously provided for them. And they came to Jerusalem, the place of worship. And they built an altar and they poured the foundation, and as all of this is going on, what happens? Some of them are overjoyed. They're like, we can't believe this is happening. This is great. Praise the Lord. And then others of them are just weeping. And it's this, it's this almost this dichotomy that we see in our worship where some are just excited and others are just lamenting. And I feel like as we've talked about and prayed about coming back here today, there are some of us that are just bouncing off the wall and excited that we get to worship together. And then there's some of us that are just lamenting the fact that our brothers and sisters as a whole can't be here. That we have to sit six feet apart like we're lepers or something. Right? That, that we have to sanitize everything. And, and in our minds, we're like, Lord, we... We're excited that we're here, but there's also this lament. And the question is, if you have both of these realities in the congregation and happening, how, how can we worship together? What's the solution to that? And according to the word of God, the solution is praise and thanksgiving and worshiping together. Because whether or not you and I are bouncing off the walls to be back together or we're lamenting, I hope there's one thing we do together today, and that's worship. And that's praise God and give thanks to God. And so the answer here is worship. Worship to the glory of God. Now, why do we worship God? Well, the Bible says because He is worthy. He's worthy to be worshipped. Pastor Louis Giglio once said that worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who, for who he is and what he has done, expressed in by the things we say and the way we live. In other words, our whole life is worship. Everything we do is worship. And as we have regathered here today, man, it's awesome to see you. I'm excited to see you. But here's what I'm most excited about, that we get to worship together. We get to worship together. And so what I want to do for the next few moments, and they have to be few because we're on a timeline here. So I just, I just want to talk about worship and what that means for God's people. And I want us to look at the providence of God in our worship. 
the prime focus of our worship, and the preview of heaven in our worship. So first of all, let's look at the providence of God in worship. I know we started in Ezra 3, but I want to I wanna slip back over into Ezra 1. As we look at the providence of God in worship, I want you to see that when we talk about the providence of God in worship, we're talking about God's oversight in our worship, how he upholds our worship and directs our worship and watches over our worship. That God is always working in the midst of us and God has one method by which he works in worship. And notice in this text how God does it on two separate people. You say, Pastor Lewis, what are you talking about? First of all, let's look at the one method. Notice with me in verse number one. It says, the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be filled, the Lord stirred up, stirred up the spirit of Cyrus the king. Right? So the Lord is stirring up the spirit of this pagan king to give or to allow Israel to worship. And what does he do? He makes a proclamation, the Bible says, and he puts it in writing, and he directs all of his people to give the people of God gold and silver, and anything they need, sacrifices in order that the people may worship. Imagine that, a pagan king doing that. But God didn't just do it to a pagan king. Notice with me in verse number 5. The Bible says, Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go and to rebuild this house. So notice this, beloved, this wonderful picture how God stirred up the heart of a pagan king and says, do whatever I tell you to do so that these people go back and worship. He didn't have to send 10 plagues this time. He just stirred up his heart. And then also the people of God, their hearts were stirred up to worship the Lord. And it's remarkable when you think of the children of Israel. God didn't stir up their hearts to take a vacation after a long time in captivity. God didn't stir up their hearts to even build their own houses for them so that they can have a place to live. God didn't stir up their hearts to establish agriculture and commercial enterprises to even feed their family. Though that was important, the very first thing that God stirred up these people's hearts to do is to build an altar and to pour a foundation. Why? Because their greatest need wasn't to establish a business or to build a luxurious home, or to necessarily go on vacation. Their greatest need was worship. After a long period in captivity, God says it's not time to do all of that stuff. That stuff's important. But your greatest need right now is to worship. And so the Bible says that God providentially stirred up their hearts why? So they can be providentially stirred up to worship. Now, I've been absolutely amazed by our congregation. I say that seriously. I, I am so amazed by you. From the moment the pandemic hit, there have been, so, all of you, all of you have worked to maintain a togetherness and a connectedness. I mean, you had people uh, every Sunday morning, right? And, you know, not to single out anyone, but the Stavens, right? Putting on uh, Kids Connect in, in Sunday school. Such a joy to us. 
And then the elders working to make sure Sunday school still continues teaching. Then you had people behind the scenes giving money, praying, people visiting other people, others taking time out to make sure that others were taken care of. Look at all the work that you've done to stay connected and to be together and to love one another. That's a sign that God was stirring in your hearts so that we can stay connected. Even all the work that was done just to put on um, uh, live streaming. I couldn't believe all the work that all of our live streaming people did week in, week out to make sure that they provided an opportunity for you to worship. Beloved, what was going on there? It was God stirring our hearts, letting us know that, listen, you're the most primary thing in this time is not to remain six feet from in, uh, one another, which, you know, that's good. It's not necessarily not to get the Rona, as my friends say, right? No, it's not that at all. It's to worship. Why? Because worship is your primary need. It's your primary need. Archbishop William uh, Templeton, Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple said this, and he explains this, this beautifully. The fact that worship in and of itself, why it's so important is that it satisfies the need of the whole man. Listen to what he says. He says, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of our conscience by his Holy Spirit, the nourishment of our minds by his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, and the opening of our heart to his love. The surrender of will to his purpose and all of gathered up in adoration or what we call worship. The most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore the chief remedy for the self-centeredness which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. Please don't miss what he just said. He said that the very thing that ails us, our self-centeredness, our pride, all of those things, the chief remedy for that is worship. Is worship. And here's why that's important. In our culture, the prevailing wisdom is this, that all of our problems are outside of us, and the solution to those problems are inside of us. So, you know, our major problem in life is that we don't make enough money. That's an external issue. So all we got to do is work ourselves up and maybe do this and do that, and then we can get more money. Or the major problem in my life is that my family is dysfunctional, and therefore I need to somehow get away from them. And we tell people this all the time. Your problems are outside of you. Your problems are, are caused by the people around you, and therefore the only way you can fix that problem is by inwardly looking inside. But that's not what the Bible says. Amen? The Bible says that our, all of our problems start within original sin, the sinfulness of our, our hearts. And the only remedy for that has to come from the outside, which is worship of God. Beloved, this is not a reductionist statement, and I hope you don't take it that way, but our greatest problem is that we're sinners, and the best solution for that is worship of the true and almighty God. And it doesn't matter who you are. You know, I've said this a million times, and I'll probably say it another million. I love Augustine's statement when he says, Our hearts will find no rest 
until they find their rest in thee, O Lord. If your greatest issue and problem is worship, then you're not going to be satisfied by the things of this world. It's not going to be by job or family or a better you. It's going to come through this, through this right here, worship. All right, let's move on to the second point. What is our prime focus in worship? Well, the text clearly says, if you go back to chapter 3, that our prime focus of our worship is God. For he alone is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Revelation 4.11 says this, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. If that is true, which it is, then that God deserves our worship and our praise. And he alone should be the primary focus of our worship. He alone and he uh, and the worship of him should be uh, our primary means by which we find our satisfaction. Now, this text in chapter 3 directs us on how we should worship our God. How should we worship God? We don't deny in our Christian faith that God is to be worshipped. That's not a big fight that we have. We all agree, shake your heads, that God should be worshipped. But the issue is always, how do we do it, Pastor? Tell us, how do we do it? Here's how we do it. There's two, there's two things I want to show you. The first is this. Our worship is by the book or by the word of God. This is all over in chapter 3. Notice with me in verse number 2. It says, Then arose Jeshua, the son of um, Jozadak, with the fellow uh, priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the Lord to offer bird sacrifices, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. In other words, by the book. Notice in verse number 4, that they kept the feast of boots. How? As it is written in the word of God. Notice with me in verse number 10 of chapter 3. It says this, that the builders laid the foundation and and they brought vestments and, and they had trumpets and they began to praise the Lord. How? According to the directions of the king of David, as he got those destructions, how? By the word of God. Beloved, hear me today. In this church, what do we do? We sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, We preach the Bible. We live the Bible. Everything is by the book. We are a people for the book, by the book. We're a people that stand on the word of the Lord. Everything we do is by this book. Our worship should be by the book. And if our worship is not by the book, it's not worship. Anyone who is not worshiping by what this Bible says is not doing worship. I don't care how effective they are. I don't care how awesome their worship service is. If it doesn't resemble what's written in this book, it's not worship. And you might say, Pastor Dennis, why is that so important? Here's why that's important. Because God says when we worship him by this book, he is in our midst. He blesses us. God says that when we worship by the book, he is here. Beloved, do you understand that the God of heaven, the king of heaven, is here? Not because of what we do, 
but because he has laid it out in his book and all we have to do is study and read it and do what it requires. And in doing that, he has promised to meet with you and I. How glorious is that? How precious it is that he left behind his book. He didn't have to do that. But one of the ways in which our God meets with us and delights with us, and by the way, I can walk around now before they tell me, Pastor Dennis, you only have to stay right here because you have to stay in the camera. Not anymore. I'm breaking ranks. I'm going to calm myself down here. That's still by the book, by the way. But our worship is by the book. It's by the book. And because it's by the book, we know our God is here. But notice the second thing. Not only is our worship should be by the book, but our worship should be filled with praise and thanksgiving. Notice with me in Ezra chapter 3 and verse number 11. And it says, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to God. And what's the content of this praise and thanksgiving? By acknowledging the obvious that God is good. Do you know most of us, we will leave the faith if we don't come to the conclusion that God is good? I don't care how faithful you are to this church, how much you tithe. I don't care all the things that you do. If you ever reach a point in your life where you do not recognize that God is good, you will walk away from the faith. Just the other day, I saw a very prominent musician, which is becoming like the soup du jour now, left and walked away from the faith, said he no longer believes in God. And sure enough, when you read the reasons, it's because of this one central truth. He no longer believes that God is good. Beloved, if you've truly seen and tasted God in your life, don't you know he's good? Don't you believe that? He's good. And notice, notice what flows out of his goodness. What makes him good? The text tells us, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And Israel here means the people of God, you. His steadfast love endures toward you. That's how he knows. That's how we know he's good. And we've seen it and we've tasted it and you experience it. And parents, tell your children that. Make sure they know that their God, the God that you serve, is good. And you point it out to them. And you're never tired of doing it. We should never tire of pointing out the ways in which our God is good. Because of his, and for that reason, we praise him. Now, Pastor Dennis, you're like, what, what, what is it about praise and thanksgiving that, that truly, truly connects us to the spirit of God? And, and here's the best way I could explain it. Recently, my wife and I have become quite the bird watchers. Um, we, we have a nest right outside our home. And, and it's a beautiful thing. They're, they're like, like the cutest, ugliest things I've ever seen, right? I don't know. I don't know. Ex explain that one to me. Like their feathers are all weird and, and all this stuff. And so, but, but they, they command my attention. I'll stand outside and watch them for literally hours if you let me, Right? And here's one thing that I've noticed. I've noticed, like, right, like, she feeds them all day. I'm like, man, 
mama, aren't you tired? And, and, and the, daddy, the daddy helps too, right? But it's that mama, man. She comes and she feeds and feeds, and it's all day. And every time, like right before she feeds them, she sends out a little chirp. You know, like it's like a split second. It's the weird, like, and, and, and when they hear her, they do this. They almost, I, sometimes I think they're going to fall out the nest. And, and, and they start chirping, they start chirping. And she comes and she puts food in their mouth. And then they just quiet down. And then they fly away. And it's all day, repeatedly, repeatedly. And the more I look at it, I'm like, this is like worship. Where, where the king of heaven calls out to us, come. And because we come, we, we do this. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Lord, be with us. And what happens? He fills us. And it's spiritual. I'm not, he, he doesn't put like, like worms in our mouth. He puts spiritual worms in our souls. But it's nourishing to us. Beloved, you have to come to a place in your life where you realize that this matters. That the worship of the saints being in this building, singing those songs, listening to sermons, tithing, whatever, praying, it doesn't matter. All of these things are acts of worship, and we are filled by it. This is your greatest need, and therefore, it's the thing you should desire the most. We're like those little birds just waiting, waiting to be fed. And we are. I don't know how much time I have, but this is the last one. That our worship here is simply a preview of heaven. It's simply a preview of heaven. A little out of breath, but, um, but we're going to finish this. You know, as I read this, I get it. You know, the people that, that are lamenting, they're lamenting because, because this, isn't, this new temple isn't going to be like Solomon's temple. It's not. It's not going to have the grandeur. It's not going to have the artwork. It's not going to have the beauty. So they're sad. And then, then you have the people who are excited, and, and they're excited for, because they have this little, this little place to worship. They're like, oh, at least we get this little place to worship. And, and they're excited over that, and they ought to be excited about that. But here's the point. That our worship here today is just a preview. Whether you're bouncing off the wall and lamenting, I want to tell you there's a greater thing to come. The prophet Haggai, who lived during this time, listen to what he says because this is so powerful. He captured this moment so well. Haggai in chapter 2, verse 6 says this, For thus said the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And here's, here's the, the essence of the prophecy. Verse number 9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. You know what he's not talking about? He's not talking about our time. He can't be. Beloved, look around us. Our worship, although necessary and needful, is imperfect. It is. 
This is just a preview. You know, you know when you go to the movies and you see a preview of a movie and it's awesome? You don't say to yourself, well, I mean, I've seen the preview, that's it. I don't need to see the actual movie. Of course you do. Because the preview doesn't tell you or doesn't give the full story. In the same way, our worship here today is just a preview. But what is the preview for if not to get you excited about that which is to come? And so even here as we worship, we should be getting excited that one day there's true worship to be had uninterrupted. But right now our worship is imperfect. Our worship is inconsistent. You know, as I look around at our churches, it's not hard to see that our worship is imperfect. You know, there's a reason why they call 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning the most segregated time in America. Because our churches will never look like the, the glorious reality and revelation where there'll be people of all nations and all tongues. There's a reason why you and I, when we come to worship, that so often, so often we feel burdened. That where we can't even worship rightly, we're distracted by the cares of this world. We're frustrated by something going on in our lives. Or we're wrangling with children. There is something about our worship that seems disordered. And it should be because it's just a preview. And beloved, I know that there are times that our worship becomes incredibly fractured. Because of sinfulness. We've allowed our churches to become fractured by politics. We've allowed our churches to be fractured by civil unrest. And by preferences. And people leave churches for a myriad of reasons. Beloved, you and I can see clearly that worship this side of heaven, though at times so sweet, it's fractured. But I have good news. This is just the preview. It's a glorious preview. It's a wonderful preview. It's the best ever preview. But that's all it is. And according to Haggai, he says that the latter times, when you and I are in heaven, what makes this time so sweet is because we're just getting a preview of how heaven's going to be. And it's going to be glorious and wonderful. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to it. Let's pray. Father, man, I'm so thankful that I get to be with the people that you've called me to minister to. I've missed them. I've longed to hear them sing. I've longed to worship with them. Father, thank you so much that you've gifted us this time. I pray that our people might get a sense of worship. And they might long for that. Because it's their greatest need. Bless them now. They are your people. Give them all that is lacking. In Jesus' name and for his sake.